0: Picked up or a key, and then it's like the, the, the piece that unlocks the plot. Like, I knew that was important. Bingo, man. I should be a screenwriter. I'm telling you. I could do this for a living myself. I mean, I know this so well. Um, maybe some of you are smirking because you are that person or you know that person in your household. Um, I won't give away the person in my household who that is. Let's just say it's a woman over the age of 30 that lives in my house. Um, so we'll just tell that much. Well, I think the best kind of movie, the movie I like to watch with this person over 30 in my house, is uh, when, you know, the plot is so desperate. It gets like, you just don't know if there's going to be any resolution. And you just don't see how it's going to end. And that person really is just silent during the movie because they are on the edge of their seat. Oh, man, I can't figure this one out. And they're worried about what is going to happen. Uh, I think about the first time I watched Return of the Jedi when I was really young, right? And Luke Skywalker is uh, being pinned down by the Emperor. And uh, you're like, what's going to happen to Luke? And then it's just something that, you know, now you just know it because you know the story. But that Darth Vader comes and picks up the Emperor and saves his son and drops. And you're just like, whoa, that's crazy. I thought there's no way he's going to get out of this situation. But there it is. Truth is, we can feel the same way about reading the Gospels. I know the ending. You know, I know how this story goes. It's just another healing, right? Oh, yeah, the lame's going to walk. The blind's going to see. A demon's going to be cast out. I know what is going to happen in this story. Well, this is a good narrative. This is a good healing story for us this morning. Because it's for that person that thinks, oh, I figured it out. But no, it puts you at the edge of your seat. How is Jesus going to get out of this one? How is he going to solve this situation? I think in this miracle today, Jesus is going to want to bolster our faith. He's going to want to bolster our faith when we think there is no hope. When we think, how is he going to get out of this? Jesus is going to show us a way when we think there is no hope. So let's look together. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. And let's hear about the life of Jesus. Let's pay attention to God's word this morning. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you, and they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. But while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord God, just, uh, I just pray you would help us this morning to pay attention to your word, that we would uh, be alert to how this might uh, play in our lives, and that we would not just think we've figured out the story ourselves, but put us in the story and let it transform us. In your son's name, amen. Well, if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Luke. And uh, like I said before, to really do justice to the book of Luke, you'd have to spend two years in it preaching to go through all the different passages. We just, we just can't do that um, here because, you know, I don't want to take two years in the book of Luke. But you can um, read the book yourself and be involved in a community group, which are studying some of the passages that I will not be preaching over. But we're going to cover some of these um, stories, and we're spending 22 weeks in it, so I feel like that's um, pretty good. But I encourage you to, to read the book of Luke on your own. And also uh, to be involved in a community group and um, just learn from some of um, what this book has to teach. The thing is, uh, when we hear stories of Jesus and think about miracles and he does this and walks on water or calms a storm and casts out a demon or whatever, many times these stories just become jumbled in our memory and our thought, And they don't really come into a co- cohesive whole. I think of it about the church potluck where there's not one theme right, uh, maybe, we'll, hopefully this won't happen next week, but, you know, someone brings jello, another one brings an egg casserole, and then there's a Lay's potato chips bag, you know, and you're like, this is, there's no cohesion here in this potluck. The thing is, the Gospels, I think, are like a great recipe. These miracles are recipes that come together to make a fantastic cake, a fantastic meal, the thing is, we have to see these miracles are done with a purpose. Like just before this one, the calming of the sea, the casting out of demons. The reason that Jesus does these miracles is not to say, Hey, I, I am a magician. Look at what I can do. No, they have purpose behind them. They're ordered to see that Jesus is bringing lost people to himself. He is reconciling a broken world. We have to see that the miracles when put together, these stories all put together, come into the whole of the mission of Jesus. There is a purpose behind what he's doing. He's trying to show, I am the king of this world. I am setting a new kingdom up. One where people that are lost will be reconciled. Where death will no longer be here. That the world will be made right. And that is what he's trying to do in these kind of miracles. The thing is, if People do not see miracles in those ways. They do not see the true purpose of what Jesus is trying to do. And this is what makes this miracle so important and so different. It's a double miracle, right? Double rainbow! No, Uh, it's a double miracle, right? And a double miracle is trying to do back-to-back to to show us what the purposes of Jesus are. It kind of shows us parallels and contrast, and different things to show what is the purpose of what Jesus' miracles are all about. And that's why I like this idea of Jairus, and then the idea of this woman in a double miracle and seeing what Jesus' miracles are about. And it's the last one of the miracles, of these major miracles um, in the book of Luke, so there's a string of them, and this ends it. So let's find out a little bit about uh, what this miracle is about what it will expose to us, what it's saying this morning. So let's look at the scriptures together. Well, we start this story, and what we have is Jesus is coming from the east side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He's traveled with his disciples to the west side. He's gone from more of a non-Jewish area, a Gentile area, where he's kind of, People want to kind of kick him out. Now to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where the crowds are waiting for him because they have heard of these great things that Jesus has done. And uh, people are just flocking to Jesus at this point because of what they've heard he's done, and especially the northern Israel location. And we know his miracles are so powerful and working so well that now we have leaders of the community coming for him for help. And that's what we see here, the head of the synagogue. Now, we have to see the head of the synagogue is not a pastor or kind of, um, you know, professional minister, instead, it's a lay leader. The head of the synagogue's role was uh, to make sure the grounds of the synagogue were put together. They would choose who would read the scripture. They would choose um, those who would pray during the service. The head of the synagogue would also choose those that would preach during the service. He usually was kind of the pillar of the community was the head of the synagogue. You can think of maybe the head of a non-profit in, in Appleton. Someone that's uh, a lay leader that might be a figurehead in a church or an organization. This is a person that people would respect. And here we see that this leader is coming to Jesus with a hard case. One that people would resonate with. His only daughter is dying. And now the news about Jesus is so big and the word has spread so much and people have seen what he's done that even this leader, this pillar in the community says, I can come to him and he will heal my daughter. Well, this is what happens and then this is where the story gets weird. You know, it, it kind of changes. Jesus is on his way to go heal this girl and the plot takes a turn. There's an interruption. Something else comes into the story. And here we see happening this is This woman, who has got some gynecological issue for 12 years, also needs healing. Probably the only similarities between, you know, Jairus' daughter and this woman is, one, the girl's 12 years, and this woman has experienced a disease for 12 years, and they both need healing. Other than that, there are just Differences. And the differences are this, while the synagogue leader comes before Jesus, even kneeling, said, Jesus, help me, this woman comes from behind. While the synagogue leader is a pillar in the community, this woman has not esteemed. In fact, if you would have this kind of disease, you would be called ceremonially unclean. And because of that, you wouldn't even be allowed to be around crowds. She just probably doesn't want the crowd to know that she's even there because who she touches, she also makes unclean. She wouldn't even be able to come into the synagogue or to the temple because of what she's experienced. She would be ostracized from the community. And it's even worse, isn't it? She has spent all her money, everything she has, to be able to solve this problem, and it has not been solved. This woman is physically... Socially and financially broken. This is a contrast between Jairus, a guy that's esteemed and financially probably in a good place, socially put together. Very different contrast between these two characters. And here is the interruption. While Jesus is going to this place, he's interrupted by this woman, and I don't know the psychology of this woman, what she's thinking, but I think her logic probably works a little bit like this. Okay, if I just touch him, if I just just can be close to him, maybe I will be healed. Maybe this situation will be done. Well, the thing is, it's not surprising, is it? That what she does is she just touches the garments of Jesus and she is healed. And the thing is, we would think, oh, the story ends there, right? She's healed. All done. It's all over. Jesus got to get to the real case. This girl is dying. But no, Jesus continues to engage this woman. And he does it through a question. Who has touched me? It's interesting, we just read that Jesus um, has calmed the storm. He's uh, understanding he can work outside of the physical realm and casting out demons. He has this amazing power, but now he doesn't even know who's actually touched him. Does Jesus not know? No, I don't think so. I think it works a little bit like this. Do you remember what happened to Adam and Eve when they ate the apple, or not apple, the fruit, whatever it is. Some people think it's a cantaloupe. but I don't know. Um, yeah, a kiwi. I don't like kiwi, so maybe it's that, but I don't know. Um, the thing is, God says, where are you? Did God not know where Adam and Eve were? No, he knew. But what he was trying to do in this, he says, why are you hiding from me? And here, this is again reminding us of Adam and the fall of humanity. See, I am like God. I am God. Why do you hide from me? You try to do this in secret, but I know more than just you need physical healing. I need you to know need. Total healing. Why do you hide from me? So even Peter doesn't get it. He says, Jesus, all these people are pressing against you. How how could you know? There's lots of people that are squeezing you in. You're in this place, a tight place. But no, he says, this is different. This is not just brushing against. This is someone touching and needing me. And you can see the woman knows that she has been found out. And the woman saw that she was not hidden, right? In verse 47. And she came trembling. Again, can you imagine? She's just trying to be around this crowd, which she's not really allowed to be around, just to be next to Jesus so she can be healed. And now she's being exposed in front of all these people, the unclean person. And more than that, she is touching this, this superhero of a person. This popular person. And what happens when an unclean person touches a clean person? They make them unclean. Oh, now I've made Jesus unclean. And, I, and everyone's going to know it. She has been found out. I love how D.A. Carson... Puts it, this woman thought she was just coming for a brief encounter. But Jesus wanted a personal encounter. He wanted a life encounter with this woman. She thought she was just coming for a brief encounter, but Jesus wanted a life encounter with this person. In the midst of her trembling... In the midst of her going and saying in front of all these people, admitting and confessing, Yes, I am unclean. This is what I did. Maybe worried about Jesus, how he'll respond. Jesus makes a comment. I encourage you. This verse is so good. Verse 48. If you want to write something on your fridge, if you want to memorize a verse, if you want to highlight something that is good in the book of Luke, Make this verse maybe that verse. And even if you're a guy, you should make this verse your verse, okay? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's hard to see how loaded this is. Nowhere in any of the Gospels does Jesus ever refer to any other woman as daughter, personally. This is the only place he actually calls a woman daughter. And do you see the irony that Jesus is probably younger than this woman? And he's calling her daughter. Why is this? Do you see the comparison and contrast? We saw another father, didn't we? Jairus, pleading for his Daughter, And everyone's like, man, you got to go heal this girl. He loves his daughter. And now Jesus is saying, look, that picture you had of Jairus is loving his daughter. How much more do I call this squirrel? And how much do I love this woman and see her as my daughter? She is my child. I am her father and my love is great for her. Even greater than Jairus' love for his daughter. And then we have this great word, go in peace. And this is just the loaded Christian word, right? I say this every Sunday, you know, go in peace, peace of God be with you, all these things. Listen, we don't understand in English the the full scope of this word. It doesn't mean go be happy. It doesn't mean let there be no conflict, you know, and uh, anything like that. No, peace is shalom. It's wholeness. It's full orbs. It's that you would have financial peace, that you would have emotional peace, that you would have physical peace, that you would be complete. And here in front of all of these people, Jesus is saying to this woman, I want you to have full peace. I want you to be fully healed. See, the crazy thing is, the woman was healed physically before she admitted that she was lost. But she was only healed fully when she came to Christ and said, this is who I am. Here I am, broken. And that is when Jesus says, I want to give you a peace that goes beyond just the physical." I want a peace that fills your whole life. That now I will proclaim in front of all these people, you are restored to this community. You are restored, but your restoration and your faith comes when it's in me. Because I am the one that brings restoration. Again, this woman wanted a brief encounter. A situational change. She wanted to get out of the situation she was in. But Jesus didn't want just a situational encounter. He wanted her to come to a full encounter with Him to be changed. Listen, maybe that happens to you when you come to God. God, I am struggling with this addiction over and over again. Heal me from this. God, there's a financial situation in my life that is beating me down. Help me in this area. God, my marriage is struggling. God, help me in this. God, I am dealing with something physical. Heal me, God. We, time and time again, come to God for situations to be changed. Change me in this situation, please, because it's pressing upon me. As a pastor, I'm supposed to scold you. No, I've done the same thing. Trust me, when I am coming to God the most, it's many times when there's one issue in my life that is just consuming me. But here's the thing. When we come to God to engage Him, He wants to engage us in more than just that situation. He wants to engage us fully. He says, if I heal that area, it will not bring you full peace. But instead, if I engage in your whole life and encounter you fully, then you'll be fully healed. Well, what's happening in two months? You know what's happening in two months? In two months, the greatest fight in history is going to happen. The most paid-out fight in history is going to happen. Manny Pacquiao against Floyd Mayweather. It is huge. Some of you guys don't even care. But this is big. This is going to be the fight of the century. Floyd Weather Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao. And if you know anything about them, Floyd is undefeated and, uh, from America, and Manny is uh, from the Philippines. And uh, this fight has been wanting to come together for years, uh, the two of the greatest at their sport. And uh, if you know anything about Manny Pacquiao, it was a few years ago. Uh, Manny was about to go into a fight. And uh, he always has his wife come with him when he goes in, uh, to the auditorium. And uh, his wife wouldn't come because uh, Manny was a womanizer. And she was fed up. I'm done. I'm not coming, coming in with you anymore. And on top of that, Manny's uh, gambling addiction was so bad he was uh, dead broke. Millions and millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars he's made, almost all gone. In fact, his mom wrote him a letter and said, you stopped paying for your niece's school. And he had to stop paying because he couldn't afford it anymore. Broken. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, womanizing. And... Uh, He almost lost that fight that his wife didn't come in and he was like, I need a change. So he found Jesus. That's what you do. He found Jesus. And here's the thing. When he found Jesus, he realized that Jesus would not just change his boxing situation. He would change his life situation. But do you know how many people didn't get that? Even his own coach. Here's what his coach says about Manny's change. I think it's been great for him. If religion works for somebody, I'm happy about it. He comes to the gym now and he never comes in tired. He never comes in from a late, a late night of gambling or maybe drinking or whatever his bad habits were. See, when you're gambling, what does that lead to? Maybe a beer or two. But what comes next? The girls. He's just a better fighter now. His coach just doesn't get it, does he? In fact, Manny lost two fights over the past few years. So, one of his only fights he's lost, and it didn't destroy him. In fact, he said, "There's more to life than losing a fight." He sold all his bars, all his gambling establishments. He now gives millions to churches, and now he is not ashamed to share the gospel wherever he goes. You see, the world says, oh, I'm glad he found Jesus because now he's, he can fight again. Now he's fully okay. Now he's engaged. No. What we see is more than that. It didn't just change his boxing. It changed his whole life. Will you let that happen? We you let God, I'm not going to just change the situation, I want to change all of you. Everything of you. That is the healing I want in your life. Well, we almost kind of get lost in this uh, woman and her healing, but we have to remember this full story wasn't about her. In fact, you remember from the very beginning, it was about Jairus and his, his daughter. And now we get to the situation. Jesus spent time with this woman, and now we see what's happened in his time there in verse 49. What has happened? While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. In literature, there's something called a foil. A foil um, brings uh, kind of uh, light or uh, realization to what the main character is going through, showing the main character's flaws, showing uh, maybe their benefits, whatever they have good. And so here I think this woman that needs healing is the foil to Jairus, showing his flaws of faith or maybe his flaws of thinking. And it's shining a greater light upon Jairus in this story. The thing is, Jairus is the one that's supposed to act correctly, right? He's the head of the synagogue. He should really know what faith means. He has a name. He doesn't need to hide. He is a person that should be acting correctly. But here, he is desperate. And in fact, the desperation is so great, they think, oh, Jesus, you can't do it. Oh, she's dead so much for your involvement. But Jesus responds, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Well, this goes back to the movie idea. In the movie, everything is falling apart. Maybe you're watching me and say, oh, I I think I know what the solution is to this problem, but now it's gotten so out of control, you're like, oh, it's over. How are they going to get out of this? and you're on the edge of the seat, you're emotionally involved, you you want to see what the solution is going to be, but you're like, I don't think there's going to be one. And you're really worried this is just going to be a tragedy, this movie. And here, in this story, they're trying to to kind of bring you in to the realization of how tragic this situation is. And to let you know that you are a part of this story. And how do they do that? Well, they do that through this idea that there's mourners and weeping. So, remember, when someone died, everyone, doesn't matter how poor you were, you would have um, musicians come and play, and then you would hire uh, wailing women to come to the services. Uh, I, I don't think that happens very often in funerals in northeastern Wisconsin. We're a tough, tough Norwegian people or whatever we might be from northern Scandinavia. Tough upper lip at a sermon, right? There might be a tear, but not open wailing. But uh, I don't know if I've been to a, an African funeral with a close friend, and there were these wailing women that when they would go to the person that was dead and look upon the casket, they would just just scream. Just mourn out loud. It, I know it does something to you. I, I mean, it was hard not to... You're like, this is tragic. This person is dead. And by their wailing, they are bringing you into it. And here is the situation there. This is horrible. Could you imagine... Uh, someone in our church, a pillar of our church, and we have a girl, a girl 8 to 12 years old, them dying. Could you imagine the tragedy it would be in this church if that happened? It would be horrible. But you see, the reason that they're showing these situations and how bad it is, is because... Jesus is talking when he talks to Jairus. Luke is now talking to the, who the audience would be. The people in the synagogue, which is probably the God-fearers in that time in Rome that were in the synagogue, he's saying, this is who you are. You would identify with Jairus. And many times when you read this kind of passage, you say, oh, good thing I'm not the woman that goes through this kind of tragedy. You know, that's great that God and Jesus heals those kind of people. You know, the homeless, the mentally broken. Those with these kind of diseases. I'm glad He heals those kind of people. But now, the reason He brings a double a miracle and why He brings Jairus to the situation is because He says, you know what, it's not just going to hit those people. It also hits you. You are not immune. You will not escape this. You, put-together person. You, my life is fine. You, I don't have some terminal illness. I don't have this kind of mental disease. I don't have these kind of problems where I'm an outcast from that society. No, Jesus says, you too are in that place. You too are there. But they don't believe it, do they? They don't believe Jesus has power over that situation. And that's when Jesus says, she's not dead. She's asleep. They laugh at him. Jesus you don't know how the world works. She's dead. It's over. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not. You don't get it, do you? This world is not the end. There is more. There is something else. I have come in to set up a new kingdom and a new place where you think it's final, it's only begun. Man. I hope it changes your views of miracle stories. Oh, it's great. Someone gets healed. Right? This this woman gets healed. This is fine. This is great. No, the miracle stories are for us too. Sorry, I'm just going to rant for a little bit. Can I rant for a little bit? Let me just rant for a little bit. We are buttoned up. We are rich. This is the best of the world right here, sitting here. We are healthy. We live long. We have money. We, are in, we have homes, most of us. We are, we are put together. We are buttoned up. But I i know you. <laughs> I know me. I know what happens when your marriage is on the fritz. I know when there is a loss of a job that you put all your identity in and you've lost it. I know what happens when you... Lose a loved one, a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a son or daughter before their time, and you are shaken. This world is horrible. It is at its worst, and you just mourn. No matter how buttoned up you are, no matter how put together you are, it will destroy you and break you. And let me tell you, it comes. If you think you are immune to the suffering of this world, you are kidding yourself. And when you go to a funeral, and that, I'm going to talk about death, because this is death, okay? When you go to that funeral, and that casket is open, and you see the life taken out of someone that you still love, it will destroy you. You will go, this cannot be the way it is. Death is ugly. It is horrible. And here these people, this father, his only daughter, is dead. Hope gone. It's over. It's done. And Jesus says, no, it's not. Do you believe me? Do you believe what I can do? Do you believe I have the power to break a world wide open from death and destruction and to heal it? This is not the way it's supposed to be. I love the disciples. They see all this stuff, right? They see all the stuff that happens. But, you know, when all the crowds leave, which they will a little bit later as we go through Luke, where they're all gone, they stick by Jesus, don't they? Hey, they all left, but we're still here. We, we know how the story's going to end. You're powerful. It'll come. But what happens when the story does not end up the way they want it to? When they see the one they follow die. Where's their faith then? Are they there? No. They're gone. You see, this story shows forth what Jesus does to them. Even I will die. But that's not the end. I will resurrect from the dead. So you see... I'm the one that has conquered death in this world. Even when your faith is nothing, even when you don't see hope and you don't see how it's going to end, I'm going to show you that I will carry it for you. And I'm the one that will take the cup. I'm the one that will bolster your faith when you think there is no hope to know that there is. Will you cling to that? Will you go to God? Will you come to Him when you don't know the end result? Will you trust in Him? The thing is, even the small things. I know some of you, your thoughts about what's going on in your life, you're devastated. The thing is, if we trust that Jesus has hope, that He has brought us through, you can even take those things and know that He is helping you through them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, a double miracle. It's amazing. But God, it's a miracle that shines a light upon us and lets us know that uh, we, we need You. We need You to, uh, to solve the issues in our lives, but we need more than that. We need Your full peace. Fully orbed, reconciling every part of our life, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Please, God, help us to cling to you, to know through you there is hope. In your Son's name. Amen. Well, here is a picture of that hope, a picture of what God has done for us. His death. And through his death, we have life. And we come forward, aren't we coming forward like uh, that woman? (laughs) That's what you're doing. You're saying in front of every single person here, I need Jesus to heal all of me. That I'm going to go in front of my church, my family, I'm going to go in front of others to say, God, if I don't have you in my life, I will not find peace. This is a place of peace with God. This isn't a, you know, an Emmaus Road table or a Presbyterian table. This is for those that would say, I need Jesus in my life. If you're not there, if you're saying, you know, I don't know about God giving that kind of peace. I don't know if he really has conquered death. I encourage you, this is a place you can process that. There's some prayers right here in the um, in communion time. You can sit and, and pray if you're not ready. Please don't come forward if if you're not there, okay. But it's okay to be in this church. It's okay to process these things. We we love that you're here with us. But if you would say that this is what I need to find peace, then come forward. So what we have is white grape juice on the outside and red wine in the middle. There's some gluten-free wafers here too. And what we'll do is um, this side will come over here. This side will come over here. You'll take the elements. And then you'll go back to your seats, and then we'll all partake together. Okay? If you have kids that aren't in communion yet, we'd like to pray for them. It's good that we get kids out of nursery or junior church. We'd like to pray for those, those kids if you want to bring them out here. Well, let's prepare our hearts, shall we? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. He took upon Himself the weight of our sin and carried the burden of our guilt. He shared our life in every way, and though tempted, was sinless to the end. Baptized as your own, He went willingly to His death, and by your power was raised to new life. In His dying and rising, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. Sanctify this bread and wine and use these elements to communicate to us the mercy of Your Son, that we might be enabled to submit our lives to You. Grant that this sacrament would empower us to die to ourselves and live for Your glory, now and forever. Amen. Well, those are going to help me serve you. Come forward.